Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace Bible Church again. It's always wonderful to be here with the saints, especially after some time off. And speaking of time off, my family certainly is thankful for uh, the break that we've had over the past two weeks. Uh, we were able to go on vacation. I was actually able to take vacation from my engineering job as well uh, during Thanksgiving week. So we had, uh, we truly had a few days off. And Angie and I and the girls, we were able to spend some time together. And during that week off, we were able to go to, uh, we took the family up to Helen, Georgia. And we shopped for a couple of days. And we even visited the Cabbage Patch Doll Hospital, I think it is. Uh, some of you may be aware of what that is. Then we went over to, to Asheville, North Carolina, and, and where we visited the Biltmore Estate. And we also took time to visit Chimney Rock, where I almost had a heart attack. Uh, no, really. No, just kidding. I, I, I was breathing pretty hard going up to the top. My family probably thought I was about to have a heart attack. But after that time there, we were able to travel over to Raleigh to visit Angie's father, and his family, and at that point I went to Arkansas and I visited my family while Angie and the kids went down to Columbia to visit some dear friends there. As you might expect, we had to come home in order to rest. Uh, that's kind of the way our vacations happened, but we were very thankful to be able to visit some folks who were important to us and have a great time together. And thankfully, as far as I know, we didn't have any COVID-19 issues, we were able to stay distanced and for the most part because most of the places that we visit, visited were not crowded and so we're very thankful that we came back. Uh, I don't think anybody, none of us really got any sicknesses, right? Nobody got sick on the way or on the way back, so very thankful for that. But I'm now back full throttle for the next few weeks before I transition to full time in January. Uh, that is the, the current plan and I, I'm thankful the plan I think that we will uh, be able to follow through on. I'm very thankful for that. I'm convinced that the church, that Christ has amazing things in store for us as a church in the coming months and, and in 2021. Now I want to give you a heads up regarding the preaching plan for the next six weeks and in doing so I want to give you a, a little of my heart for the ministry. In some ways the next four weeks will be a review of what I believe is Jesus' plan for His church with a Christmas sermon thrown in for good measure. As I said, we plan for me to go full-time in January, which I hope will propel us into the next four years here at Grace Bible Church. And I hope that the sermons over the next few weeks will restate the vision for Grace Bible Church Gainesville and will give us a renewed sense of joy over what Christ is doing with His church. Today, the plan is to give you a few introductory remarks and then preach an abbreviated version of the Grace Bible Church pillars that some of you have heard as you came in and became a member of the church. Next week, we're going to revisit the ordinances of the church, that would be communion and baptism, and in two weeks, we'll proclaim uh, the, the Christ's birth as we celebrate Christmas. And then in three weeks, uh, we'll look forward to 2021 by renewing our focus on ministry here at Grace Bible Church. Starting out the new year, again, giving you a review of what we're going to be doing over the next six weeks, we'll bring Joel Baker back at the beginning of January. And then we look forward to our winter retreat with Ray Maringer as he preaches that week and let me just give a plug for that. You need to attend. If you're not planning to attend, you need to attend the winter retreat. Ray and Missy will be a treat for us. The winter retreat actually coincides with our four-year anniversary as a church. Uh, I don't think we planned it that way, but January 22nd would be the four-year anniversary of Grace Bible Church Gainesville. I can truly say that we have trusted the Lord for everything in these past four years. As, as I look back, I have come to see that Jesus' promise to build His church in Matthew 16, 18, I, I've come to see this as our theme. 
for Grace Bible Church during these first four years. Before I even knew that Grace Bible Church Gainesville was a possibility, I had one plan no matter where the Lord sent us. I planned to preach the Word of God and to love the people of God. That was simply the plan. I had no idea, looking at it, coming, coming to here, I had no idea what infrastructure would be in place because I didn't know where the Lord would send us until I knew that He was sending us to Gainesville. Ultimately, if the Lord had sent us to a fully established ministry, my plan was to preach the Word of God and to love the people of God. I had no other intentions. Of course I knew that there would need to be some administration and other secondary functions, yet I didn't want those things to take away from the weekly preaching of God's Word or distract me from simply loving you, God's people. I didn't expect either one of these to be easy, and I have not been disappointed. But I will say that there have been some Sundays that I have barely made it to the pulpit with an acceptable offering. There have been some Sundays that I wished I had back. And I'm sure that I have not loved you, always loved you, that is, as I should. But through all of it, this is the point, through all of it, Christ has been faithful to build His church. A few, years ago, or a few days ago, Don Green, a fellow pastor up in Cincinnati, posted something that I found incredibly helpful and incredibly timely to what I'm talking about. His post describes my heart for this ministry, my heart during these past four years, and my heart going forward in 2021. He says this. He says this. It's simple, really. In days of strength, preach the Word. In days of weakness, preach the Word. In days of joy, preach the Word. In days of sorrow, preach the Word. When people come, preach the Word. When people go, preach the Word. When men praise you, preach the Word. When men slander you, preach the Word. When prosperity blesses, preach the Word. When poverty humbles, preach the Word. When the church grows, preach the Word. When the church splits, preach the Word. In elder unity, preach the Word. In elder conflict, preach the Word. When the world listens, preach the world or the, the Word. When the world mocks, preach the Word. With family near, preach the Word. With family far, preach the Word. When you like it, preach the Word. When you don't, preach the Word. If people notice, preach the Word. If people ignore, preach the Word. When you feel the Spirit, preach the Word. When you feel the devil, preach the Word. When you remember Jesus, preach the Word. When you remember Judas, preach the Word. By the crib, preach the Word. By the grave, preach the Word. When sinners repent, preach the Word. When sinners rebel, preach the Word. With youthful strength, preach the Word. With dying breath, preach the Word. And he ends it with 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And I, want, I would only add to all of this, we are to love God's people through all of it. That has been my goal. And that has been my heart for the ministry at Grace Bible Church Gainesville since I've been here. And will continue, Lord willing, to be my heart going forward. Now with that said, let's use the next few minutes to remind ourselves. Remind ourselves of our philosophy of ministry here at Grace Bible Church. And in doing so, I hope that you will indulge me as I reflect on some of the challenges that we face and apply much of what we've learned in these past four years. Let me pray for this morning and... We'll continue. Heavenly Father, 
I pray that we would, at Grace Bible Church, no matter who's standing in this pulpit, Lord, my heart would be to be here for the rest of my life. My heart would be to preach to this congregation until my dying breath. But no matter who you have standing in this pulpit, I pray that Grace Bible Church would ensure that there's a man willing and able to preach the Word of God and love your people. Father, may I do that with the rest of my ministry here. In Christ's name, amen. During my time off, I had a lot of time, as you might imagine, to think about the nature of the church and its role in our lives. One thing that kept hitting me over and over, I will call it the uniqueness of the church, especially when compared to our culture. The distinctiveness or peculiarity of the church is informed by the Word of God. Now, this distinctiveness, I would argue, serves as our protection in a culture that is increasingly going adrift. You might not understand, maybe you do, maybe you would like for me to explain why our distinctiveness serves as our protection. Well, it serves as our protection because the distinctiveness of the church comes from the Word of God as our anchor as the storms of the culture rage around us. Adherence to God's Word is what keeps us securely fastened and ensures that we don't go adrift as the waves of this world seek to overwhelm us. The further our culture shifts from its Judeo-Christian moorings, the more we'll see the peculiarity of the church. But only in so much, or in as much that is, as we hold to the peculiar nature of the church as informed by the Word of God. This is the reason I want to take today to revisit GBC's philosophy of ministry. Now before I get, let me go, go any further, I just need to remind you, I don't know if, I can't remember if Phil reminded you, we are having communion at the end of the sermon, so just want to make sure that you're aware of that and ready. Now, you might be asking, why we would go through these topics again. After all, we've studied this before. But I believe it's crucial to revisit our philosophy of ministry as a church because we, as as humans, we need reminders to ensure that we stay on task. Any human organization, even the church, can be subject to what we call mission creep. But with the church, mission creep means that we're getting away from what the Lord would have us do as the body of Christ. We're really getting away from the Word of God. Therefore, we are potentially losing this distinctiveness or this peculiarity that protects us. Now, there are several forces which are conspiring against the church's peculiarity over these past few years. And these challenges have truly come into focus during 2020. As difficult as 2020 has been, 2021 promises to be even more difficult. Therefore, I, th- I, I believe that we should pinpoint these challenges, these challenges to the distinctiveness of the church, and take a fresh look at our biblical response to the culture, which I would say is our b- biblical philosophy of ministry. Now, we can pinpoint four different challenges that the church faces. First challenge would be our responsibility to the government as seen in our response to COVID-19. Now, bear with me. There's been a divide forming around how we should respond to this virus and how we should respond to this pandemic. This divide is in our culture. You see it clearly in our culture, but we also are seeing it in the church. Some folks believe that we need to take the utmost of care with this virus because it's deadly. Other people believe that it's a completely political issue which which people in power are using to manipulate people. Now, how you view this issue, and I'm not saying what's right or wrong necessarily, but how we view this issue seems to be shaped by how we view the political landscape. But I would argue, I would argue that our view 
of the authority of the church and the authority of the state has come into greater focus. Now, I don't have time for a full answer here, but we need to, as a church, understand the challenge that we're facing. That we must recognize that government has its sphere of authority and that the church has its own sphere of authority. And we need to recognize that bad things happen when one interferes with the other. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is a reason for the separation of church and state. There's a reason for that. And right now, there is a battle that is raging over the dividing line between the two. That's the first challenge. The second challenge kind of goes along with it. Is the second challenge to the church is the political agenda of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. I'm very, I want to be very clear. Progressive wing. The political agenda of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party seems to be to usher in an age of challenging every social norm of our Judeo-Christian culture. These, these changes have begun to take root, had begun to take root even in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. The, the rise of compulsory public education allowed for progressives to quietly teach their doctrines to our young people starting at a very early age. For years, many people have turned their, the education of their children over to the state without doing anything in the home to counteract or the church to counteract the teachings of the, of the schools. Now, you might wonder what this has to do with the church. After all, the church is ruled by Christ, not the government. And that is certainly true, but we must be aware that the state will not stop until there is full surrender to the values of the state. And this presidential election didn't change any, didn't do anything to alleviate our fears, right? We must remember that man will take even things that seem good and use them for evil purposes. As an example, Joe Biden, as soon as he comes in office, plans to pass the Equality Act, which prevents, prohibits, that is, discrimination. Now, the discrimination that is based on sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, and a wide variety of areas. The problem will come, this is the problem that faces the church. The problem will come in how discrimination will be defined. You can bet that there are those who, will, who plan to apply the definition of the, of the government to private schools and to churches. And you can be assured that there will be a push to remove any religious exemption to these rules. The third challenge, the church's responsibility to racism. Quite frankly, it's hard to imagine, and I'm saying this in 2021, but racism will continue to be a major topic within our culture and within Christian circles. This challenge parallels really the last one. Let me, say, let me say first that Christianity, true Christianity, and racism are incompatible with one another. But here's the problem, and it parallels the challenge outlined above. What is the definition of racism? The modern definition might not be what you think. The Oxford Dictionary defines racism as prejudice, discrimination, and antagonism directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership in a particular racial or ethnic group. Even though the Bible doesn't mention racism, it is not silent on, that, on this issue. We must recognize that race is a social construct and there are no distinct races among mankind. There are only nations. There are only ethnicities and cultures. The people of God will be from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Therefore, the Bible tells us very clearly that we are not to show partiality to one group above the other, according to James 2, 8, and 9. Clearly, the Bible speaks against the sin of partiality or racism. But here's the rub, and here's the challenge. Many in the church are beginning to accept a new definition of racism. We'll call it racism 2.0. This racism has been defined as societal disparities between white people 
and others. The Atlantic states this. These disparities between white people and others are themselves referred to as racism. Did you get that? In other words, any disparity between those with lighter skin and others is considered racism. The problem with that definition should be obvious. Disparities between people who could be based on skin color, which would be racism, but those inequalities could be the result of things such as hard work or even being at the right place at the right time. These things are not racism. So the problem with this definition is clear. But the biggest challenge is that this definition is being brought by Christians into the church. Let me give you one more challenge facing the church in this upcoming year and beyond. The fallout from years of church consumerism. Prior to 2020, I would have said that church consumerism is a, cha- consumerism is a challenge for the church. But I believe this past year has began to push us past church consumerism. Now I believe that we are reaping what we have sown. Do you get what I'm saying? Consumerism has been the issue. But now we're reaping the result of consumerism. Now there are three characteristics I want to give you of the consumer mentality. And we've seen these. We've talked about these. A focus on the consumer when structuring the church. Pew sitters, people who come to church, come to receive. They, <coughs> excuse me, they come to passively listen. So therefore, we give them well-rehearsed preachers and professional musicians. Everything is scripted like a concert. Professionals are paid to perform while the churchgoers receive. That's the model. There's a focus on competition. Everyone is trying to be the best in town. They want to have the best worship band, the best youth program, the hippest preaching. They want to have a focus on attracting Christians, other Christians from other churches, instead of evangelizing the lost, which is what we're here to do. There's also a focus on measuring success by the numbers. There are three main metrics which get the most attention, right? Uh, Nickels and noses, if you will. Uh, attendance, offering, and square footage. Uh, We want to have the highest attendance, we want to have the greatest offerings, and we want to have the biggest building. Well, we do. But as I said, I believe that COVID-19 and some of the other challenges are beginning to push us past this consumer mentality. Unfortunately, what we're going to see, I believe, is we're going to begin to reap what we've sown. Churchgoers have been conditioned in this way for years, right? They, they, want to, they want to go to wherever they're going to get the greatest amount of pleasure and what they're going to get the greatest amount of, of entertainment. And they see themselves as attending church, but not part of the church. And in the words of Albert Moeller, he says this, I don't think we should expect those who go to church to think much of the church. People who are, are the church will love the church. So the question that you have to answer for yourself is, am I... Going to church, or am I the church? That's the challenge, right? I suppose the positive is that we'll begin to see the nature of the true church as these things are revealed. That's the positive side, but, the pain, but it will be painful in the transition. And I fear many will fall away. I also fear that the church, and I'm talking about the universal church, is ill-equipped the visible church, that is, is ill-equipped to face these challenges. That's what I'm trying to get at. That's what I'm, this, this long introduction is, is pushing at. But I would argue that this church, Grace Bible Church, has learned how to face these challenges over the past four years. It's simple, really. It's simple. At Grace Bible Church Gainesville, we... We plan to meet the challenges of 2021 and beyond with a renewed commitment. A renewed commitment. A renewed commitment to the exaltation of God, to the exposition of the Scriptures, to the equipping of the saints, and to the evangelism of the lost. Well, let's look at the first one. Again, these are simple. These are simple. We've all heard them, but I just want to, this is by way of reminder. 
by way of reminder, we will meet the challenge of 2021 and beyond with a renewed commitment to the exaltation of God. Look at Psalm 145. So we've seen the challenges. And believe me, when, these, when you think about these challenges coming together, conspiring uh, to, be a, to challenge the church, we face a great challenge. But here's how we're going to meet it. Now, as you're turning to Psalm 145, I want you to know that this is the first text that I preached at Grace Bible Church. Now, I'm thankful that this was our first text because I believe it set the pace for the exaltation of God at Grace Bible Church, Gainesville. Now, look at your text. Psalm 145, verse 1. David writes, he says this, I will extol you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and highly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. Now in these first three verses, David makes the commitment to extol his God and his King. Now, in, in the first verse, David uses the word extol, which means to be lifted up or exalted. It is significant that David is exalting the true king. This looks forward to the coming King Jesus. And it's, in, it's crucial to recognize that David's, this is David's personal promise to extol the king, to exalt the king. It's important to understand it's his personal commitment uh, that because it will result, his personal commitment will re, will result in exaltation by an entire nation, and ultimately we'll see by the world. You see, God's king is, or David's king is, is is God, but he is the king of the world, and this is the basis for David's praise. You see, David acknowledges that God is his king. He has a personal relationship with Him, which is the starting point to praise and worship. We praise God because He has saved us. As Spurgeon states, praise is the beauty of a Christian. What wings are to a bird, what fruit is to the tree, what the rose is to the thorn, that is praise to a child of God. The question is, is that what characterizes your life? is praise to God what characterizes your life and your everyday walk. This describes David's life and should describe your life too. You praise Him. You adore Him. You, you, the word means to radiate, to be bright, to shine. Praise should be emitted from your lives as a boasting about God and His attributes. Now let me point out a couple of crucial points in verses 2 and 3. David says that every day he will bless the Lord. Every day he will humble himself in the presence of God. That's an incredible statement of worship from David. He commits to praise God no matter what each day brings, whether good or bad. Beloved, this must be your personal commitment. And it must be our corporate commitment the praise and exaltation of the Lord. Now let me show you a neat progression here. In this psalm, David is a great conductor. He has taken up his wand and is leading a great symphony in praise to his Lord. This psalm starts simply with him standing alone in the middle of a room, if you'll imagine. No one else can be seen. But as slowly as the psalm goes on, David pulls the curtain back and you see the vast number of people praising the king. Look at verse 2. David says that he will praise the name of the Lord forever and ever. But he will not be alone in this praise for God. And we see this in the following verses. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Here we see the cascade of praise which starts with one man and progresses from one generation to the next as they declare the mighty acts of God. It's what we should see in our families. It's what we should see in the church where the older generation is teaching the younger generation to, to love and adore the Lord. Look at verse 5. 
He says this, On the glorious splendor of Your majesty and on Your wonderful works, I will meditate. Again, we see the personal nature of David's worship. The personal nature meaning that we, as the people of God, should be individually committed to worship the Lord. But look again at verse 6, where we see again this corporate worship. He says, men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. You see this back and forth idea of David saying, making this personal commitment to exalt God, but then seeing the, the corporate aspects of this worship. Then David follows up, again, as I said, with his personal commitment to tell of God's greatness. And in verse 7, David again returns to the corporate aspect. He says this, They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. Beloved, this should be instructive for our own worship both as individuals and corporately. As individuals, we must join David in a commitment to exalt God with our lives. If we commit this way, we will see others join us in this exaltation and God will receive all the praise. Corporately, as a church, we must renew our commitment to exalt God, to worship Him, to praise Him. And in this way, God will be glorified by this church and we will be able to meet the challenges of the future. Let me give you four results of our commitment to the exaltation of God. First, we will recognize God's holiness and power. We will recognize God's holiness and power. Second, we'll realize man's rebellion. We will realize man's rebellion. Third, we will relish God's grace. You see, we see His holiness. He's high and lofty and He's lifted up. And we realize our rebellion and the fact that He has saved us and that we will then relish His grace. Fourth, because of what He has done for us, we will reveal His truth. We will reveal His truth. This fourth result leads us to our second commitment. Our second commitment as a church. We will meet the challenges of 2021 and beyond with a renewed commitment to the exposition of Scripture. With a renewed commitment to the exposition of Scripture. Turn to Psalm 19. As you turn there, let me remind you that this is another Psalm of David. And in this Psalm, Psalm 19, David communicates two ways that God has revealed Himself to us and made us accountable to Him. He is revealed Himself through, first, His astonishing world, and second, His amazing Word. David starts the psalm by showing that God has revealed Himself through His creation. God has revealed Himself so that man has no excuse for denying His existence. All we have to do is see all that God has created to see the fingerprints of God and see that He exists. Anything else is complete denial. But God's general revelation of Himself in creation only condemns. Therefore, God in His mercy has revealed Himself in His Word. We call that special revelation. Psalm 19, 7-14 describes the role of special revelation. And I would argue that the reason we exposit the Scriptures, the reason we do this, can be found in this psalm. Specifically verses 7-14. Now, let me read starting in verse 7. David writes, <coughs> The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The word translated perfect means that it is complete. It is intact. It's blameless. It is without fault. The law of Yahweh is complete. His law revives. His law literally brings life to dead people. According to Ephesians 2.1, Paul says that we were dead prior to Christ saving us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. You see, God made us alive in Christ. And I would argue that He uses His Word to give us life. 
His Word is also reliable, dependable, and trustworthy. It has the, the power to make the wise simple. Or the, the, the make wise, that is, the simple. The simpleton or the naive will become wise by studying the Word of God. As such, the Word of God saves us and it makes us wise. It gives us salvation and shows us how to live in this world. In 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul makes this connection. He told Timothy, he says that, he says, from childhood, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So we see here, we see that, that the scriptures, they save us, that God uses the scriptures to save us, and they, he uses them to make us wise in, unto life. Now just listen to the rest of Psalm 19 as we hear the benefits of the Word of God. Starting in verse 8. It says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So as believers, we read the Word of God and we rejoice in it. As believers... We see the purity of the commandment of the Word and we are enlightened by it. Verse 9, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors and acquit me of hidden faults and also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins? Let them not rule over me, then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Then he says this, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, how are the words of our mouths and the meditation of our heart, how can we assure How can we assure that they are right before the Lord? How can we be assured that they're acceptable in His sight? It's that they are shaped, they are fashioned by the Word of God. He is our rock and He is our Redeemer. Beloved, as a church, because of this, we must be committed to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. We, we believe at Grace Bible Church the best way to honor the Word of God is preaching uh, to, by expositing the Scriptures. Now as you think about the benefits of Scripture from Psalm 19, I want to give you the definition of expository preaching in five parts. This goes very quickly. First, the fundamental aim of expository preaching. The fundamental aim of expository preaching is simply this. To read and explain the text of Holy Scripture to God's people. That's it. That's the, the fundamental aim. Lather, rinse, repeat. Just continue doing that. Continue doing just that. Secondly, the foundation of expository preaching. The foundation of, the, of expository preaching is the belief that the people of God need to hear the Word of God and have the Word of God's meaning exposed, exposited, so that they know how to live in a worshipful way toward God. Third, the faithful preacher's work in expository preaching is to, de to mine the text for its God-intended meaning using normal methods of interpretation. It's as simple as that. Fourth, the, the faithful preacher's understanding, he understands that he is simply a mouthpiece of God charged with exposing the meaning of Scripture to the listener. What I'm saying is, is that my job as a preacher is to open the Bible, read the Bible, and explain the Bible. That's my job. I'm not here to be an entertainer. 
I'm not here to be a professional. I'm here to explain the Word of God. I'm here to strive to ensure that the biblical author's intent always drives what I am saying in the sermon. Fifth, the preacher's goal is to do these things trusting that God the Holy Spirit will use His Word in changing the lives of God's people and making them more like their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we do these things because of what Psalm 19 says. Because we believe that the Bible restores the soul. The Bible makes the wise simple, or makes the makes the wise making wise makes the simple wise. That is, the Bible rejoices the heart. The Bible enlightens the eyes. You get the point. Our third commitment to meeting the challenges of 2021 and beyond is equipping the saints. Turn quickly to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. As you're turning there, I should say that the final two commitments really go hand in hand. Really, these all go hand in hand. We exalt God. We exalt God. We exposit His Word because it teaches us about God. We equip because we want to teach others about God. And then we evangelize because we want to teach those who don't know God to know Him. Look at 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture, Paul writes, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Paul is saying that all Scripture, I would argue that this is the 66 books of the Old Testament and the New Testament, all Scripture is God-breathed. Literally breathed out by God. Peter tells us in 2 Peter Peter 1.21, no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but, by men, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Men carried along by the Holy Spirit as a ship is carried along by the wind, uh, that they spoke from God. Therefore, the ultimate author of Scripture is God Himself. And Paul says that this God-breathed Scripture is profitable or beneficial for the believer. This describes, or this should describe, the equipping ministry at Grace Bible Church. We use the Scripture for teaching. This is the main task of the church. This is the main task of the pastor-teacher, is to teach the Scriptures. We are called to, to focus on teaching God's people the Word of God. It goes back to the expository preaching, and why we just open the Word, explain the Word, and do that over again. But it's profitable for teaching, for reproof. It is profitable to rebuke those who contradict, especially those who would be false teachers. We are called to admonish those who believe their teaching. So we use the Word of God to admonish, to correct those who are in error. For correction. It's profitable for correction. We're called to help believers, to correct believers, to help them grow in godliness. Scripture should be used to correct errant behavior in the life of the believer. This underscores the importance of our church, the importance of the local church and of Scripture. Lastly, for training in righteousness. We're called to train our people, to train the people of God in the Scriptures. This is an intentional, longer-term plan of growing our people into godliness. Look at verse 17. So that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. You see, Scripture is profitable for the church because its purpose is to equip God's people. Scripture is the means by which believers fulfill the work of the ministry. Scripture is, is God's gift to His people. You see, God has not left us alone. He's not left us to do good works on our own, wondering if we're doing the right thing. We are equipped by Scripture to do good works in Christ. And this is the purpose of Scripture and is the purpose of our equipping ministry. As such, our theme verse is Colossians 1.28 and 29. Listen to this. 
Paul writes, we proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. He says in verse 29, for this I... For this purpose also I labor, I strive, I labor, striving according to His power which mightily works within me. Paul's saying, I'm not doing this alone, that it's His power working within me, and I'm working hard, I'm striving to present every man complete, every person complete in Christ. And I do this by admonishing every man, by teaching every man. And I do this by proclaiming Christ. Verse 29 parallels Galatians 4.19 where Paul tells the Galatians that he labors. He labors until Christ is fully formed in, in, in them. So that's the goal of our equipping ministry. And doing this, continuing to do so, will allow us to meet the challenges of the future. Let us look at our fourth commitment. So, at Grace Bible Church, we are committed to the exaltation of God. And I'm calling us to recommit, to renew our commitment, to renew our commitment to the exposition of scriptures, of the Scriptures, to renew our commitment to the equipping of the saints, and fourthly, to renew our commitment to the evangelism of the lost. Turn to Matthew 28. Let me set the scene. Matthew 28, Jesus had been tried and condemned. He had suffered and died on the cross. He had been placed in the grave, and now He has arisen and is appearing to His disciples. At this point in Matthew 28, He appears in Galilee with His eleven disciples present but they're not alone most likely they this is most likely his appearance to the 500 which Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15 now look in Matthew 28 verse 16 it says but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated when they saw him they worshiped him but some were doubtful now the honesty of the text here is breathtaking If the origin of this were man, I'm not certain that this line telling us that there were some who would, who were doubtful would make it into the text. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, ultimately, it it would, it, it makes people wonder, right? But we're getting the, the true reaction of the people. Look at verse 18. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now we've seen this in Ephesians 1.20 as we've exposited uh, Ephesians 1.20 or Ephesians 1 when we exposited Ephesians 1. We saw that God raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that has been named. Now, a few minutes ago, we discussed our church's commitment to the exaltation of God. Well, everything that David wrote in Psalm 145 concerning God can be and should be applied to Christ. He is the exalted one. He is the one who has been given all authority. All things have been put in subjection under His feet. He has been given as head over all things to the church. We are His body, the fullness of Him. Now here's the consequence. Here's the consequence. We are the representation of Christ on earth. We are His body. And what is known about Christ is understood through His Word and witnessed through the church. Do you get that? We are His representatives on earth. We are His body. And what is known about Him is understood through His Word and is witnessed through you, the church. Now those are some pretty big shoes to fill. Amen? Here's our mission as the church. And this is given directly to us by Christ Himself in verse 19. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now let me give you the upshot. In Matthew 16, Jesus promised to build His church. And in that exchange, He also gave His authority to His church. And in Matthew 28, He tells us how He will build His church. He will use us, you and I, you and I, to make disciples until the end of the age. He will be with us until the end of the age as we do so. Therefore, as the church... We should be devoted to exalting Christ, to expositing His Word, teaching and preaching His Word, equipping the saints, and preaching the cross of Christ to a lost and dying world. Brethren, that is our mandate. That is what we're to do. It's that simple. And I would argue that everything we do inside these walls should lead us to go outside and preach the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ to those who need to hear it. We've been left here to proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. That's the mandate of the church. It all fits together, right? It all fits together. We've been left here to exalt God, to teach the Scripture, to equip the saints, and then go out and preach the Gospel. And then we do it all over again. And it continues till the end of the age. As I said, that's why we left here. Why, that's why God didn't just take us to heaven as soon as He saved us. We've been left here to proclaim our Lord's death until He comes. And this is also the reason we celebrate communion on a monthly basis. You see, we need constant reminders, do we not? Of why we are here. Let me pray and then we're going to transition into a time of communion. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You, praise You again. Lord, we do face great challenges. As this culture shifts and changes around us, Lord, we are a peculiar people. Lord, I pray that we would continue to be so. That we would continue to exalt You. Continue to learn and teach Your Word. Continue to equip the saints. And continue to evangelize the lost until You, our Lord Jesus, come again. Father, we pray this time of communion would be pleasing to You. In Christ's name, Amen.